0: Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by Two Ways One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. By Saint Al wishes Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Also by JohnPLA.com. Um Wish a happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, merry Christmas. To everybody that is listening to the show, everybody that's not listening to the show, whatever, great time of season. Um, some things we're going to get into today. I do want to talk a little bit about what Scott Boris has done, um, a little bit about the NFL, which is kind of a little opposite of what I've been saying as far as parody. You're actually talking about one third of the league that's doing pretty bad as far as performance this year, we're already thinking about next year. But, you know, you always take a little bit of time to reflect and you think about, you know, what it is that we're doing here. You know, we host the show and, you know, I've been thankful for everybody that has taken the time to tune in and be part of the show. And, you know, you think there's different levels of people that listen to the show in regards to some people that, hey, they hear a John Pielli And what's the first thing they think of? He does some Mets show. And those are just the most generic people, the people that really don't know anything about me and have never paid attention to the show whatsoever. But then you get the the people that will do a little research. They'll Google John Pielli They'll look at my Twitter handle. They'll look at my website. And they'll say, hey, the past ball show is baseball, sports, and Unify in America. But, you know, those that have really divulged into figuring out what the show is about kind of know... What the individual takes are and i think for anybody that wants to have a successful show you want to be known for individual takes that you have and for those that that listen regularly you'll know my stance when it comes to the baseball hall of fame and who should be in and isn't you know if you follow the Passball show enough you'll know my take about the value of a major league baseball manager which is nowhere near what it used to be. It's basically talking about somebody with their cojones taking off a castration that's done because they don't have the ability to impact the game as much as they used to. We've talked about college sports and paying players, talked about the aftermath of what happened in regards to Jerry Sandusky and how it basically took the life of Joe Paterno. And people still want blood from that. They want to see a Greg Schiano who was on that staff uh, suffer, and have more happen to him because of what happened there. And you, know, you got the take of of Urban Meyer who had a coach that was beating his wife. People want to treat Urban Meyer as if he's the one that beat his own wife. So those those are important things that you want to we want to continue to discuss because not only are those takes that. I'm telling you, they're also not 100 percent facts. So they could be disputed and debated. And that, that's what makes this show great is the back and forth that we've we've had over the last series of years. So here's to another great year. But now the show belongs to you. So anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball sports in Unified America, you could either drop a comment on the Facebook Live or YouTube premiere. Uh you could give the show a call if you want. The number is seven three two three six four. Thirty-five ninety-eight. So first thing we wanted to talk about, baseball for the last couple off-seasons has been kind of weak. And you've seen free agents, particularly guys like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, end up not in the position that they expected to be in. Now in the end they got paid, Harper got his $330 million for the Phillies. Machado got his $300 million from the San Diego Padres, but it was a very long waiting game, and it was almost as if the owners, the baseball owners who, if you follow the show, you know that's another group of individuals that I'm not a big fan of, colluded together and decided that they were going to drive down the asking prices of the players and the agents in free agency, and they were successful for the last couple of years. And my question And I'd like to throw this out there because I find it pretty fascinating is, what is the difference this year? Is it the quality of players? Because I don't look at Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and say that they're not, you know, impactful, total team-changing players. They absolutely are. And Dallas Keuchel gets a multi-year contract this offseason when he didn't last. Mike Moustakis, who was the poster child, because... He was part of free agency in 2017 and 2018. So you're looking at a guy that actually went through this twice. Free agency starts, he gets a four-year deal from the Cincinnati Reds. So my question is, what gives? Did the owners finally stop colluding? Because I've looked at it, and you go back to the days of the reserve clause, and this is why I'm so passionate about this, because generations of owners have been taught to almost treat The players in baseball as property and they've done this for a long period of time the reserve clause wasn't broken until the 1970s and then it seemed as if it started a war from the owners hey we're going to do everything we can to curtail player salaries even in the days of free agency and it led to the strike in 1981 obviously led to the major strike in 1994 which cost the first postseason was the first time that there wasn't any postseason since 1904 and almost drove half of its fans away from the game. And what brought the game back? Well, it was Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, two players that uh, ironically are blackballed from the sport and its Hall of Fame. You know, Sammy Sosa isn't even making appearances in relation to baseball anymore. Mark McGuire has to cry on, you know, Dateline or Nightline in an interview to admit that he used steroids before he could wear a Major League Baseball uniform again. But you're talking about players that actually brought the fans back to the sport. And once again, I'm not going to turn this into another uh, Baseball Hall of Fame discussion, but how do you not honor those players that transcended the sport? Which, by the way, you're looking at a history of people... Whether they're pioneers, whether they are players, coaches, executives, all in baseball's Hall of Fame that have devious past and have made mistakes and have done bad things. Talked about O. J. Simpson last week. You know, if OJ Simpson's murder trial happened to be or coincide with the the time that he was eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm 100% sure that O.J. Simpson would still be inducted into the Hall of Fame because of what he did as a player. Pete Rose, a degenerate gambler and all, may have disgraced the sport, may have disobeyed the one rule that hangs up in the locker room, but there was no proof that he did it when he was a player. There was no proof that anything he did when he gambled impacted the 4,256 hits that he had in his Major League Baseball career. Most hits, most play appearances, most at-bats, most singles, most wins, by the way. And And if you talk to Pete, that's one of the things he's the most proud of, the fact that as a player, he was part of the most winning games in all of Major League Baseball history. But because he was a degenerate gambler, bet on baseball, once again, no proof he did it as a player. All of a sudden his stats don't count but I, I digress because I didn't I didn't want to get into this today so you're thinking about this off season and what is it that changed in the minds of the owners is it the potential of the new CBA which could totally change things we're talking about you know a salary cap and a salary floor and I think only you know The only possibility in baseball of it ever having a salary cap is in conjunction with a salary floor. But, you know, maybe we're getting to a certain point where the owners are just looking to collectively bargain what they want in the next agreement and maybe have backed off a little bit. Because the owners, obviously, they're tight-lipped. They're never going to admit that they colluded together. You know, they're going to lose millions and millions of dollars, a lot more money than they, they would lose in free agency if they admit that they were colluding together. And, you know, it's going to be very hard for baseball and if you hire a series of lawyers to represent the players and the agents to prove that there was any sort of meeting or any sort of discussion or emails. I mean, if there was, obviously it would be a smoking gun, but you don't expect there to be any paper trail or footprints that would put the owners together to prove that they were curtailing the salary, saying, listen, let's all get together and let's not sign Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell until the season starts. Let's hold off Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and not even make legitimate offers until we get close to the start of the 2019 regular season. And obviously, you know, you look back at what happened and it seems like it. It almost smells like it. It tastes like it. It feels like it. But there's no way to actually prove that that happened. But we know it happened in the 1980s. So you go back and, yes, there are different owners, maybe certain franchises that are run by different generations of owners. Let's say the parents have passed the team on to, to you know son and daughter, like you've seen in a handful of different teams or different sales that have brought in completely different owners. But we know that it stinks. We know that the residue and the smell of what happened in the 1980s and the collusion resonates with baseball people we know this has happened before we know the owners said you know what free agency players are making too much money let's just go out there and not sign anybody that's happened before so why hasn't it been proven that it's happened over the last couple of years because i think the owners have done a good enough job you know hiding their footprints you know keeping their paper trail making sure that there's no way that anybody could come up and figure this out. But now we're looking at Scott Boris, who you can make a case that this guy belongs in baseball's Hall of Fame for what he's done for the players. And what's been such a transcending year to find out that the great Marvin Miller, the man that has done so much for the players and in an owner-driven sport, Finally got the credit that he deserved for a pioneer. And I know there's people that hate Scott Boris. I know there's people that are going to go off on me for saying this. Scott Boris is a real-life version of Jerry Maguire. Scott Boris has done more for the sport of baseball, or as much for the sport of baseball, as just about any pioneer. You, You put Marvin Miller in, which I'm glad he's in. He deserves to be in. There should be some discussion about putting Scott Boris in. Because not only has he made a lot of money for players, but those player salaries and what he's done for them has generated a ton of revenue for the sport. And you look at what he's done this offseason, right by itself Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasberg, Mike Mostakis, Dallas Keuchel, and now Hun Jin Ryu. That's six players there, and obviously the first three are huge names, and if you're an agent and you happen to represent those three players of free agency, yeah, you expect to end up getting paid. You expect those players to end up getting paid, and the fact that it happened at the baseball winter meetings this year, as we hit what well, we'll call the halfway point here on the Passball Show, just a reminder, anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, you can... Uh, drop a comment, Facebook Live, YouTube. Give the show a call, 732-364-3598. You look at those six players that Boris has gotten contracts for, a total of a $125.5 million those six players will make this year. And that's over $20 million a year, average, obviously, from Garrett Cole's 36, he's going to be making, to Mike Moustakis' is 12. But Rendon and, you know, Stroudsburg making 35, Rendon making 26, Ryu 20, Keiko 18 and a half. That's a lot of money for one year for six players. And if you total up their contracts, ready for this? You total up the contracts of the before-mentioned six players. Cole, Stroudsburg, Rendon, Ryu, Keiko, Moustakis their total contract value is $1.014 billion. So six players with one agent have guaranteed themselves over a billion dollars in this offseason. So if we talk about the collusion that exists amongst owners, hey, the first thing I'll tell you, these six players were signed by six different teams. A couple teams that, in fact, three of them are, you know, are considered... Mid-market, they're not considered the big spenders. We could talk about the Yankees, we could talk about the Washington Nationals and the Los Angeles Angels. Sure, those are teams that have been known to spend before, and they got big contracts, and there's players that make a ton of money that play for all three of those teams. But look at the Chicago White Sox. Not only did they bring in Dallas Keuchel, they brought in Yasmani Grandal. They've been very busy this offseason. They are making a push saying, hey, listen, that American League Central, if the Twins can do what they did last year, the Indians are going out there trading Corey Kluber, why can't the White Sox make a push with their young players and have a mixture of some very good, proven, veteran-winning players? The Cincinnati Reds, same thing. NL Central, they've been building for young players the last series of years. And they go out there and they add Mike Moustakis. You know, and you see also what the Toronto Blue Jays and listen, nobody's looking at the Toronto Blue Jays and saying, wow, they're a threat to the Yankees. You better watch out. But you look at what's happening in Boston and there may be a chance that a guy like David Price could be traded or J.D. Martinez, maybe Mookie Betts is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So, you know, Boston Red Sox with Haim Bloom as their new general manager and president, you know that the thought is, is going to be out there that the Red Sox could be getting a little worse before they're getting better. You're talking about a division in American League East, which has the Baltimore Orioles, who are on the Houston Astros' plan. You know, Mike, Mike Goliath is the general manager there. He came over from Houston. He's going to try to build that team the same way. So the Orioles aren't going to be any good. You never know about the Rays. The Rays always seem to get the most out of the players that they have on their roster. Which is great for their scouting. It's a, great for their manager and their coaching staff and the people that you know work together to assemble the players that they do there. So you can't ever rule the Tampa Bay Rays out. I don't know how they do it year in and year out. I know they got some good players, but when they're up there winning 95 games, it, you know sometimes you look, you wonder if they are doing it with mirrors. But hey, two years ago they were pretty good. Last year they made it to the playoffs and. You know, took the Houston Astros deep in a in a best of seven series. So you have you have to call it, it, it you know something what it is at a certain point. I may not believe as much in the Bay Rays, but they sure are getting the job done. So you're looking at the division, and yes, the Yankees are the Yankees. If you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you've got so many good young players from you know Beau Bichette to Vlad Jr., uh, you know you got Biggio's son playing there. Uh, some very good players that are coming up and kind of developing a small core that you're going to look at and say, hey, these are the baby Blue Jays. And over the next series of years, these guys are going to get better. You're going to have a couple all-stars here. Why not go out there and sign Hunjin Ryu? They went out there and they signed Tanner Roark to have a little bit of depth to their rotation with their young pitchers they got there. Up to, up to this point, they're, you know, listen, 2020 may not be great for the Blue Jays, but why not? Start the curve a little bit earlier. Remember what the Chicago Cubs did in 2015. They brought in John Lester. Maybe a year early from where they were in their rebuild. But what happened? They ended up making the playoffs that year as a wildcard team. Won the World Series the next year. Maybe the reuse signing is something that could expedite the rebuild within the Toronto Blue Jays franchise. And you're seeing this happen throughout the sport. So I do think there is a little more love in teams wanting to get better. And you're looking at a series of the bottom ten teams in baseball, which we spoke about before. We said they were all rebuilding, they were all doing the same thing. They were all just could care less about winning baseball games. We're looking to develop young players and maybe over the series of years get a little better. Well, we've seen a handful of these teams trying to get a little bit better. And they have. So kudos to the White Sox, kudos to the, the Reds, and a great job by the Toronto Blue Jays making a legitimate effort. Now, I don't know if you're talking about three playoff teams here. I don't know if you're talking about three teams that you could say have a legitimate shot at winning a World Series. It may not be true, but I think you're having three teams that are saying, hey, now's the time that we get a little better than we were last year. Maybe push for five hundred. Maybe have the goal to be to finish over five hundred. See how things go get to the playoffs, start a series of playoff appearances. But Scott Boris, Hall of Fame, I know it's something that's going to be hard to see him getting on a ballot, let alone getting in, because he's hated in the sport. The sport looks at what Scott Boris did. You know, a struggling minor league player who couldn't get to the major leagues, yeah, sure, he was smart. He got his doctorate. He got his law degree. He ends up representing a couple players in the early 80s and surprisingly gets them way more money than they were expected. And I, I want to pull this up because I found this pretty in- interesting when I was looking this up the other day. So there was a, a shortstop for the Indians. His name was Mike Fishland and Bill Coyle. He was a relief pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. We're both free agents, I think, after the 1979 season. So, Boers represents these two players. And Caudill, who didn't have a huge track record, ends up getting a $7.5 million contract in 1980. So, you're talking about Bill Caudill, who, once again, you're talking 30-something years later, almost 40 years later, nobody... Very few people know who he is, but an agent can get a player that much money in 1980. He decided that he was going to make a life of this, and he's done as much for baseball, and you know how much I love Marvin Miller. I'm a huge Marvin Miller fan. One of the greatest moments of my life was to be right outside of the set of MLB Network when Tim Meade, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, got to read Marvin Miller's name off when it was announced that he made it into Hall of Fame. But I think Scott Boris is a Hall of Famer, too. And people may not be too happy to hear that. Moving on, we were talking a little bit about the NFL, and I found this pretty fascinating. You know, baseball, we talked about how there are the haves and the have-nots, a series of teams that you know are going to be in it every single year, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Nationals, the Angels. The Angels haven't gotten necessarily the results. The Phillies are kind of in the same category. But you're watching teams like the Cubs and the Red Sox start to curtail their spending a little bit. Saying, hey, we went a little bit overboard. Yes, the Cubs got their World Series championship in 2016. First one in 108 years. Red Sox, well, they won their fourth World Series in 15 years in 2018. Both of those teams realize that the amount of their payroll had a lot to do with the success that they had. Now, listen, from a financial standpoint, you understand how some people go through some struggles. You know, you you have a part of your paycheck coming out or you don't receive a bonus. Then you got to think about what you could do without. And I think the Cubs and the Red Sox are both in this situation. I don't know if they're going to go the full uh, Tug Speedman when it comes to the rebuild. But I I believe that you're going to see some players shipped off. And at least players that are entering free agency, like Mookie Betts, not be re-signed by the Boston Red Sox. And similar things happening with the Chicago Cubs as some of their higher-paid players are hitting free agency. So it it makes sense that they're looking to trade. Um, They're scaling themselves back a little bit, but I also think they should both be expected to contend this coming season. So the National Football League, which I've always praised because of the amount of parity that exists within the sport. You have one sport that you know, it doesn't matter what market size exists, whether it's Tampa Bay or Tennessee or Jacksonville or Carolina or Arizona. Any one of those teams can compete because they're all on the same level when it comes to the salary cap. They're all told, hey, this is the maximum amount of money you have to spend. And nobody's out there trying to be cheap. Nobody's out there saying, hey, well, you know what? You're telling us we got $170 million, hypothetically, of course. But I only want to spend $40 million. An owner in the National Football League would not get away with it the way they do in Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball owners, once again, think that they have more power, not only than anybody in the world, but that includes owners in other sports. The Major League Baseball owner thinks that they are more powerful than the basketball owner or the football owner. They think they could set their own payroll levels because they have that much power. Football owners don't do it. Basketball owners don't do that. And that's why football for a while has had success because of its parity. Any team's got a legitimate chance to do something special in the National Football League. You know, you could... Rebuild through the draft. But at the same time, you use salary cap space as an asset. Baseball teams don't do that. The Rays say, hey, we don't have any more than $20 for our total payroll. We're going to have to make it work. You You know, that's BS. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tampa Bay Lightning, other sports franchises are spending more in regards to payroll, and those franchises are doing okay. But you're watching something that's happened in football This year, that we really haven't seen in a while. And it's a, it's, I don't know if it's a uh, chase for young. I don't know if, you know, some of the looks of some of the quarterbacks, whether it's the, you know, Joe Burrow from US, uh, from LSU, whether it's Tua, we know he's hurt, but somebody would love to have that guy as their quarterback over the next series of years. You know, you think of, you know, Lawrence with Clemson, you know, coming out next year. Maybe maybe these teams are starting to envision some of these college players and saying, "Hey, you know what? If we lose a couple more games, then we win. Maybe we'll have a chance to pick up a player like this." But you know, when the season started, you we kind of looked at the Miami Dolphins. You're like, "Wow, this is the one team that legitimately isn't trying." You know, they they yeah they traded for Josh Rosen and Josh Rosen hasn't really played this year. Ryan Fitzpatrick has actually done a good job. Threw for over 400 yards yesterday's. Quietly had a pretty good year for them. But, you know, the Dolphins were looking to get towards the top of the draft for next year and be able to use that draft pick. They picked up another one in a trade of Micah Fitzpatrick to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you know that the Miami Dolphins were rebuilding. And, you know, I voiced out my opinion how I felt like it was, you know, it wasn't cool that a sports franchise, especially that plays football, a violent game to not be trying to win. Now, you'll never hear that from players, but you started to hear that resonating in the locker room with the Miami Dolphins. And you look at, you talk about coaching. You know, I've never been there to give a ton of credit to coaching, especially baseball. You know how I feel about Major League Baseball managers, but you gotta give some credit to the Miami Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores, who has gotten an effort week in and week out that wasn't there before. And you've seen a series of other teams kind of fall by the wayside and the Miami Dolphins kind of moving up in a spectrum. Now, maybe that traditional Miami Dolphin fan says, Wow, you know what? We were supposed to end up with a number one overall pick. Now we might be picking fifth or sixth or you know, who knows? Maybe even later in the draft because the players are playing hard. But what you find, number one, is that there are more players on your roster that are worth keeping through the rebuild and maybe through the time where the Miami Dolphins will be expected to play and succeed. And number two, you know the salary cap situation, parity does exist within the world of football and the definite chance that it takes one draft and one offseason to put some really good players on the field and be more competitive. At some point, the New England Patriots are going to go down. Maybe another five years, maybe another ten years, who knows? It might, it might seem like it's going to go on forever. And as we watch the Patriots, as they lock up their 11th straight AFC East championship or their, their division title, put themselves in a position where they are likely, they at least control their own destiny in the last week of the season to get a first-round bye. What happens next year? Tom Brady's not the same quarterback that he was even last year. At some point, he's not going to be able to do it at that same pace. You know, I remember Derek Jeter, and I think it's great to bring up Derek Jeter because he's getting into baseball's Hall of Fame. The announcement will come sometime in the middle of January. You know, he had that season where he had the 200-plus hits. He hit 330-something. And then he he had that injury, and he missed almost that whole next year. Came back for one more season, and he saw that he was a shadow of the player, of the hitter, that he was prior to his injury. And I think the same thing we're starting to see with Tom Brady. So why, if you're the Miami Dolphins, would you not think that hey, yeah, you're going to have to rebuild. You're going to have to get a lot of younger players in here. Well, why can't you build this on the fly and get a little bit better next year than you expect? And I think the coach has gotten the most out of that group of players, and that coach has probably discovered some diamonds in the rough with the Miami Dolphins and their players. But it also has come at the expense of some other teams that we said, hey, nobody was thinking the Cincinnati Bengals were going to win a Super Bowl this year. Nobody was predicting A uh, Washington Redskins-Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl. You know, the Detroit Lions, probably a borderline playoff team. Jacksonville, probably a borderline playoff team. The Los Angeles Chargers were a good team last year. What did they win, 12 games in a regular season? The Cleveland Browns, probably been the biggest disappointment in the entire sport. And I'm glad I didn't jump in. I'm glad I didn't overdo it and believe the hype. And say, hey, this Cleveland Browns team was going to be the best team in their division because they—they are self-destructing right before our eyes. And I always thought, and I'm, listen, I'm not the only one that felt this way. It was a matter of when they were self-destructing, not if they were going to. You're hearing Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, and you know all the players there. They're just—they're just unhappy people. And the only thing that was going to keep them together was if they went out there and dominated and won every week. If Baker and ODB and Landry and, you know, now Kareem Hunt, if they were just putting a ton of yards up there and points and blowing the opposition out, then maybe there wouldn't be any problems. But you're looking at a lot of me people, a lot of people with that me mentality, and what happens when you face adversity? Start pointing fingers. Start saying, hey, it's it's the coach. It's this guy. It's that guy. happens in the business world. Happens within every genre of employment. Good leader, which by the way, talking about Brian Flores in Miami, holds it together. Yes, maybe some adverse situations. May have sucked at the beginning of the season where some of the players may have not wanted to be there. Minky Fitzpatrick didn't want to be there. Hey, he got him out. That sent a a message to the rest of the team. What are you going to do in Cleveland? But you're looking at the top 10 worst teams in the National Football League. There was a series of teams that I thought could have been playoff teams. Detroit, Jacksonville, Los Angeles Chargers, Cleveland, the Jets. Now all these teams, really for the exception of Cincinnati, who's probably clinched with their loss even though they tried to win. They came back, they tied up the game and went to overtime. The Dolphins ended up beating them. Probably clinched the worst record, but you look at three-win Washington, three wins and a tie for Detroit, four wins Miami the Giants, five wins for Jacksonville to Chargers, Arizona, five wins and a tie, six wins for Cleveland and the Jets. It's a lot of bad football, a lot of bad records. And once again, some teams that were expected to do pretty good. But we thought at the beginning of the year, we were just thinking of Miami. That's just a bad team. We were thinking the Miami Dolphins. were going to go out there and just, they were going to go 0-16. and 16. You know, other teams might win maybe five or six games, but it was going to be a long distance between the Dolphins and the next worst team. I don't think the Dolphins are the worst team in football. And I don't think the Bengals are the worst team in football by a lot. Washington's there with him. What has happened to Detroit? And I know Matthew Stafford's been out. It sucks. You you got a star quarterback and you lose him. You saw what happened with Peyton Manning years ago with the Indianapolis Colts when they went 2-14 or they lost their first 14 games. You know how a team could tank right away when you don't have your best player or your star quarterback. Miami, the Giants, Jacksonville. Chargers, Arizona had a big win. I know that, but they haven't been good. You look at a lot of teams that haven't played good football this year, and there's not a lot of lot in regards to the degree of separation between the worst and the other team here. There's 10 teams that are really bad. Now, could some of them have a little, little bit of quicker fixes than others? Yeah, of course. And you can talk about other teams that are within the 11 to 20. You know, a team like the Dallas Cowboys, who... You know, is very surprising that they have a losing record right now. You know, they've looked great at some points this year, and other points they've looked horrible. So, I wanted to bring up a couple points about the NBA. Yeah, there's there's talk about possibly changing the format of the postseason, and I, I understand where it comes from. And Adam Silver, I think, you know, took a lot from the great David Stern, and once again, we send our prayers out to David Stern going through the brain surgery and stuff like that. We really hope he recovers, one of the more influential commissioners in all of professional sports and sports history. But Adam Silver is trying to listen, because the talk has been, there's too many games in the NBA regular season. Not just from fans, not just from the media, but you're hearing it from players and coaches. You're seeing it when coaches are choosing to sit star players. And you talk about the, I don't know, you know, whatever, uh, you know, playing management or, uh, you know, game management and keeping players from playing back-to-back games. And you want to make sure that they get a certain amount of rest during the regular season, and especially as we get to the second half. You know, you start to think of Christmas and New Year's. And you, you start to very much spiral towards the NBA postseason in the months of February and March. And you start to see, obviously, there are the haves and the have-nots. Teams that are looking for lottery positioning. you got teams that are know they're getting into the playoffs and just want to make sure that all their players are healthy. And I don't know if an agreement has come up that perhaps there are too many games International Basketball Association regular season. I felt it for a while. But like I said, the commissioner is really saying that he's starting to believe that now. Coaches, players, in in the in the management of whether they're playing a lot, you know, 80 games. Hey, star players are only playing 60 games now because they want to make sure they get an adequate amount of rest. Fans are getting pissed off. Because they may want to see, you know, LeBron James or Steph Curry or any one of their favorite stars, Giannis or Kawhi Leonard. And they go to a game, that player isn't playing. Not because they're hurt, but because the coach and the organization have decided that that player is not worth it to them to play in as many games. And that sucks for the fans. So what Adam Silver is thought about. So maybe have a little play-in, you know, the 7th and 8th seeds of each conference. Maybe allow the ninth and the 10th seed to play a, a winner-take-all game to get to the next round. And the reason I don't like this, and I see where he's coming from, it's to create a little more excitement, have a little more to play for. You're having two more teams actually, you know, play a technically a postseason basketball game. But all you have to do is look at the standings of both of the conferences in the National Basketball Association. And the one thing that they both have in common, and I understand it could change, you know, there's teams that have under 500 records that are underachieving, that yet feel like they're a little bit better than they are, but the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference has a 12-17 and 17 record, and that's the Orlando Magic. The eighth seed in the Western Conference is the Portland Trail Blazers, and they're 14 and 16. Now, it's not that the Blazers aren't better than that. Carmelo Anthony's done a lot to help them. You know, Damian Lillard, obviously, is a good player. You know, this is a team that should be well over 500. You know, there's San Antonio. There's, you know, even even a team like Minnesota or Sacramento. Expected to probably do a little better than they've done at this point. But, you know, I can't stand the thought of a postseason team in any sport being there with a losing record. And I actually think, and it's it's going to be hard to implement that, and I know you can't implement it throughout all sports, but let's say if you wanted to implement it in basketball, how exactly would you do it? You're basically telling a team that finished with the eighth best record in a conference normally would be good enough to get to the postseason, they would need to finish 500 or better to make the postseason. He said, "John, how how could you do that? Were you actually saying that the Milwaukee Bucks, who hold on in the number one seed now, would get a first round bye?" And I'd say, "Yeah." Why are you going to reward teams for finishing with a losing record? You never know what could happen. You see the NCAA tournament, and I know that's a little bit more confusing, and there's a lot more layers and different dynamics that are involved there. You can talk about the conference and the automatic buys for the teams that win the conference tournament and the amount of money that's rev, the amount of revenue that is earned by those conferences and those schools. That means a lot for, let's say, the mid-major schools to get that one team in there. And, you know, if they happen to have a losing record, the NCAA kind of turns the other way, understanding that it's part of the business. But the National Basketball Association, and I don't know how to do it. I mean, do you change the schedule around a little bit? Do you have more division games? And this way the teams play, you know, their own division a certain amount of times. But, you know, also that may not be fair in regards to seeding. Let's say you got a five-team division and three of the teams are lousy, two of the teams are good, and those two teams beat up on those three teams and, you know, increase their own seeding. You know, they get to be one in three in a conference, you know, when it comes to the playoffs all because they had a chance to beat up on the three, four, and five teams in their division that were so bad. So I understand that there's a lot to think about here. But I wouldn't be against, or I wouldn't be, a, you know, not in favor of seeing a team with a losing record not get a chance to play in the playoffs, which obviously is going to keep the idea of having the, the uh, 8-9 and the 7-10 games in regards to the conference seedings. I'm not in favor of that because you're talking about more losing teams getting a chance to play postseason ball. But I, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm excited to see that there is some discussion now, that we're starting to move in a direction, and I think I think we're seeing something that over time is going to get itself a little bit better. And I think as we move towards let's say the next labor agreement in the National Basketball Association, maybe there is something. That could result in maybe a lesser regular season, or to increase the value of the regular season games. You're talking about the, you know, the the, the players tournament. You're talking about the best players playing against each other for a million dollars. And I haven't researched it that much, so you know, if you want to throw some facts at me, uh, I'm okay with that. I, in my honest opinion, I don't think it's enough to read a ton about. But I mean, it's just another idea, and another way to maybe bring more attention to a game that think about it, from a star standpoint, does very well. You know, kids want to be LeBron James and Giannis and Kawhi. They want to be their favorite player in the entire sport as opposed to their favorite player on their favorite team. Yeah, they'll they'll follow LeBron to Memphis if he wanted to play there. You know, if LeBron wanted to play in Toronto or if LeBron wanted to play in Sacramento, the LeBron James fans would follow him wherever he goes. So it is more of an individual sport than it is you know, any of the other major sports. And the NBA is trying to do everything it's, it can to popularize or continue to grow through its star players as opposed to the teams. A little bit of a recap of the show today. We started out, we talked about Scott Boris. And you ask yourself this question, could Scott Boris be a Hall of Famer? It sounds crazy, but as a pioneer, look what he has done for the players, not just this offseason, but since he decided that he wanted to be a player's agent, wanted to start his own agency, wanted to become the most influential sports agent in all of sports, let alone baseball. Is that not a pioneer? This offseason alone, he's got six players signed. And they'll be making 125 and a half million in the 2020 season. And the total value of their contracts is over a billion dollars. We talked about the National Football League. I always talk about how great the parity has been. Not so much this year. You got 10 teams, and a handful of these 10 teams had aspirations of making the playoffs this year are kind of battling with each other for the worst. The Cincinnati Bengals, who nobody looked at and said this was the worst team in the NFL at the beginning of the season, looks like they've locked up the number one overall pick. But outside of that, you got Washington and Detroit and Miami and the Giants, all kind of in there. And not that far away are Jacksonville, the Chargers, Arizona, Cleveland, and the Jets. And you know it's weird? A couple of these teams won yesterday. The Jets won yesterday. The Arizona Cardinals beat Seattle yesterday. The Giants won. The Dolphins won. It's kind of weird. You know, it's not like any of these teams are absolutely tanking. Yeah, listen, they're going to go through, in some of the cases, a couple teams are going to go through some major changes, especially the ones that have playoff aspirations. They may be looking for a new coach. They may be looking for a new quarterback. They may be... Looking for some new impact players. Last thing we got into was a little bit of NBA. I don't like the thought of adding two play in games, 7 10, 8 9, if you're, you're thinking of the one through eight seating in regards to the conferences in the National Basketball Association. Uh, I like the fact that there is attention the being drawn to the fact that the NBA regular season is losing its luster. It's lost its luster for the last series of years. I've spoken about it as probably as far a long ago as like five years ago, talking about the lack of attention that really is paid to the regular season. And now we're talking about mental health days and giving players a day off, load management as it exists in the sport. You know, those kids that you'd say, hey, it's great to have 82 games over the course of an NBA season. It's not so much anymore. Because that kid wants to see that star player that's coming from the other team. That Knicks fan wants to see Kawhi Leonard when the Clippers come into town. And you know what? If it's a day that the Clippers decide they don't want to play him, if it's the second end of a back-to-back, back, in, back, to back then that kid's losing out anyway. So I'm glad this is something that actually is coming to a head. The commissioner's thinking about it. Obviously, coaches and players are thinking about it. Fans and the media are thinking about it. Hopefully, over time, we'll see what you end up coming up with. I don't know what to do. All I do know is that teams with losing records shouldn't be in the playoffs. That's a completely different topic. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, also by JohnPiele.com. You know, wish everybody uh, you know Merry Christmas couple days away you got Hanukkah which has started so hopefully everybody enjoys their their upcoming Hanukkah and their Hanukkah season we'll be back with you maybe hey maybe we'll do a show Christmas afternoon we'll see uh kind of a time where the NBA kind of takes front and center stage see a couple big games there I hope everybody enjoys the time with your family your loved ones God bless you and as always I'll see you on the other side